You're listening to the Ultimate Youth Worker Podcast. Today's episode, what do we mean by professional? Let's get into this. You're listening to the Ultimate Youth Worker Podcast with your host, Aaron Garth. Hey guys, it's Aaron here and it's really great to have you with us again on the Ultimate Youth Worker podcast where we try to give you some thought-provoking ideas about youth work. Uh, Today's topic is going to be a really interesting one, hopefully, and one that will get the juices flowing. Uh, We expect that we're going to get uh, some very interesting opinions coming back uh, at us across uh, social media and, and the website about this topic. As some of you know, I have gone back to do some study this year uh, as a stepping stone towards doing a PhD. I've gone to do an honours program at RMIT in Melbourne, and as uh, I've been developing my honours thesis, my topic has very much been focusing on the future of youth work, what what the future holds for us as a profession. And that term profession is one that gets bantered around a lot. I remember when I started my youth work journey 15 odd years ago, uh, hearing in our lunchroom that we need to be more professional, hearing other uh, people from the public say that youth workers need to be more professional, uh, hearing our colleagues, uh, social workers, psychologists, doctors saying that youth workers need to be more professional. And it was just one of those things that I took for granted. I moved into study and I heard about the need for us to develop a professional association, uh, that we needed a professional code of ethics, that we needed to be a profession. And once again, I took it for granted. We've got this mentality in our sector that uh, when we look at everyone else and we see that they're becoming professions or that they are professionals, that we need to be that as well. Unfortunately, there's not a lot of literature out there on what that would look like for us as youth workers. There are a handful of really good journal articles uh, that start to develop this idea, but most of them are stuck in one framework of what we mean to be a profession. And I ask you to just take a moment and think what you mean when you say that youth work needs to be a profession. Do you even say that youth work needs to be a profession? It's probably one of the biggest debates in our sector worldwide over the last decade, alongside our identity. What is youth work? Hopefully we answered that in uh, our first few podcasts, what we think youth work is at Ultimate Youth Worker. But alongside that identity question of what is youth work, very quickly comes what should we look like? going into the future. Groups like the Australian Youth Affairs Council have jumped on this idea over the years and really pushed uh, for us to question what it means to be a profession. The distinctions are varied and the uh, ongoing argument nuanced, but It's a question that each and every individual youth worker needs to have a handle on.
So today, just to get us thinking about it, just to get us in the mood, I want to talk about this idea of what a profession is. Uh, It's, like I said, very nuanced, but hopefully uh, by the end of it, I'll have you questioning whether or not youth workers need to professionalize, whether we need to be a profession, and whether that's something that we want to do. So I lecture in youth work, and after a decade of working in the field, I began teaching the new minds in youth work about the profession that they were going to come into. I said to them that they needed to be professional in the way that they handled themselves, that they needed to push for the professionalization of their field. Unfortunately, when I would ask them what they think a profession looks like, they really didn't have much of an idea. The big issue here is we don't really know what we mean in youth work when we say we need to professionalize. Like I said, if you do a cursory glance of the literature on professional youth work, it becomes pretty clear that the model that academics and senior practitioners are talking about is not what most people would think on the ground. It's a model that harkens back to the structural functionalists of the early 20th century and even earlier, the late 19th century. These writers, such as Emil Durkheim and Talcott Parsons, just to name two, saw the need for groups of people to hold the knowledge about certain issues for the good of whole of society. They saw a link between what they saw as legitimate professions, such as law and medicine, and the character traits, such as self-sacrifice, on the part of the individual worker. They saw ethical practice framed by a code of ethics. They saw autonomy of the profession and a monopoly over that body of knowledge. These structural functionalists saw the need for the strengthening of university education so that they could confer attainment of those traits to professionals and that education legitimizes those professions. If this sounds like a a bit too much, have a look at the work of University of uh, California, Berkeley social welfare professor, Ernest Greenwood. In 1957, he best described what a profession is from the structural functionalist framework in terms that we in the social welfare sector have identified with ever since. Greenwood saw that professions had five common attributes that distinguished them from all non-professional associations. His work contributed significantly to the professionalization movement, particularly in social work within the United States, and throughout the later part of the 20th century became a model for all social welfare groups to follow. In surveying the literature, Greenwood identified the five attributes as a systematic theory, authority, 
community sanction, ethical codes, and a culture. By systematic theory, Greenwood means a system of abstract propositions that describe in general terms the classes of phenomena comprising the profession's focus of interest. In layman's terms, we have a body of knowledge that explains who we are and what we do, and how we do it. Think of all the theories that you were taught in your youth work course. Strength-based, solution-focused, client-centered. These are all theories that we argue are core to our being as youth workers. But are they ours? It's a question I'll leave you with to ponder. By authority, Greenwood believes that knowledge of a discipline which frames its systematic theory, sets a professional apart from the layman, the person who has no qualifications or understanding of theory. And that makes us the holders of professional authority. By having an understanding of things that others don't, we become the authority on the topic. In the case of youth work, we would argue that we have a very strong understanding of the lifespan of 12 to 25-year-olds. We understand how they think, what makes them tick, their developmental issues, the list goes on. And we talk as if we are authorities in this area. We tell parents that we understand their young people. We talk to teachers at schools and give them ideas of how to work better with their 12 to 25 year olds. We argue that we have authority because we have an understanding over and above what the average person has. By community sanctions, Greenwood here is talking about those which state who can and who can't be a member of our particular profession. Things like what particular education makes you a professional and what doesn't. This discussion has been strong in Australia particularly, in uh, any state where there's been a growth in the professionalization of youth work. I remember sitting in a lecture at RMIT many years ago where the discussion was held of who can be in and who can't be in our profession of youth work. The discussion was about what qualification actually makes you a youth worker. Is it a certificate for? Is it a diploma? Is it a degree? Is it something higher? I remember sitting in a conversation as the fledgling Youth Work Association in Victoria began and hearing people argue argue vehemently that you had to have a degree to make you a youth worker. If you didn't have a degree, that the community of people who did have a degree must sanction you, must make it clear that you can't enter the profession of youth work. Thankfully, that settled down a little bit, but only a little bit 
in Victoria at least, you can't be a full member of the Youth Work Association if you don't have a diploma or higher. Another area that youth work has really jumped on, and if you go to any conference in Australia at least, uh, there's always a topic on codes of ethics. It's an area that uh, our very own Professor Howard Sercombe, who is now in Scotland, uh, really pushed. Code of ethics sets the formal guidelines for a profession. In the words of Greenwood, the profession's commitment to the social welfare becomes a matter for public record, thereby ensuring for itself the continued confidence of the community. We state in a code of ethics what we believe and how we will act. Codes of ethics in youth work are wide and varied, in Australia, at least, there are two differing models used by the professional associations in Australia. Finally, Greenwood states that a profession has a culture. This means the unwritten codes of conduct generated by groups within the professions. The interaction of social roles required by these formal and informal groups that generate a social configuration unique to the profession, a professional culture. What Greenwood's saying here is that every profession, its people develop a framework for how they will work together and in the community. These configurations First, who's in and who's out, develop clear lines of the expected work ethic, the expected roles, the expected knowledge that people will have. But beyond that, the unwritten rules, how we talk about ourselves, the groups that we will and won't associate with, the people that we will refer to. These are all unwritten and professional culture begins to embed itself in the individual. These five areas have so entrenched themselves in our thinking that over the last decade, the Australian Association of Social Workers has grabbed this model with both hands to try to legitimize its place in the allied health profession. Within the youth work literature, when people speak of becoming a profession, if they do come up with a definition of what that looks like, for the most part, it covers these five areas. A systematic theory. Do we have a knowledge base that no one else has? Authority. Because of that knowledge base, are we in a place where we have authority to speak into an area of people's lives? Community sanctions. Do we choose who's in and who's out? Codes of ethics. What do we believe about how we work? And 
the unwritten culture. So my question to all my fellow youth workers out there, is this enough? Is this framework enough to make us professional? Does it fit with our understanding of what youth work practice should look like? Do we really have a systematic theory that is all our own? Or, as has been suggested, do we pick and choose from others? In doing my thesis and doing my literature review, I came across a work by a father and son group from the UK, the Suskins. Their work is on what the future of professions will look like. One question they leave readers with is, in today's internet-based society, where at the click of a button we have access to the knowledge and wisdom of humanity, can any profession completely argue that they have a systematic theory of their own and that they have the authority over it? This is a big question that's hit youth work for a very long time. People have argued that youth work doesn't have its own systematic theory. And to a certain extent, I would agree with that. Many of our theories also sit very well within social work, within community services work, even within psychology. We borrow from neuroscience, from organizational theory, from group work. We don't necessarily have a systematic theory of our own. And hence, it's argued that youth workers don't have authority because of that. We've begun professional associations. And to a certain extent, we have community sanctions. Those professional associations choose who is in and who is out. We have working with children's checks. We have access to police checks and to a certain extent they provide sanctions for who's in and who's out but if we take Greenwood's model to its fullest extent the question of do you need to have education a qualification that says you are a youth worker in Australia is very very limiting over 60% of our youth work workforce have a cert for or less As I mentioned, codes of ethics is an ongoing discussion in Australia, and the two models are battling into who's right and who's not. The two models have stood the test of time, both of which have over a decade within our sector. But neither of them covers everything that a youth worker will do. Neither of those codes of ethics cover the whole of practice. 
And as been argued by people such as Professor Judith Besant, codes of ethics do not guarantee ethical work. They do provide some level of community confidence that we say we will work that way. But without the ability to fully sanction, codes of ethics are merely words on a piece of paper. And finally, Greenwood's final point of culture. Culture of youth work is as wide and varied as those who do it. Some are highly professionalized, to use the term as loosely as possible. Some wear suits and ties, uh, spend time in courts, spend time writing case notes and doing case management work. Some wear shorts and t-shirt and spend time at the beach. Is either culture better than the other? As we come to wrap up for today, I want you to think about what makes you a youth worker. Is it a title? Is it your body of knowledge? Is it someone has said that you are in the fold, you are in the group? Is it that you follow the code of ethics or is it the culture? If you're like me, as you start to think about this, you probably believe that those things are all good steps. But in and of themselves, that doesn't make us a professional. And unless we were all to agree to this, I think Greenwood would argue that it doesn't make us a profession either. As we limp our way through the second decade of the 21st century, youth work is coming to understand that there are bigger issues at play than we've thought for a long time. Our young people are experiencing more and more distress. Traumatic episodes are around every corner. We have funding cuts. We have some difficulty making our work understood by the government. And that leads to a lack of funding. Being able to hang our hat on the idea of being a profession seems like a really helpful tool as the Australian Association of Social Workers is pushing. However, more and more governments are disregarding the idea of professions. We see in Australia with the launch of the National Disability Insurance Scheme that anybody can register to provide services. As we go forward, will these five attributes that Greenwood identified be enough to help us to shore up youth work as a profession? Will it be enough to instill public confidence when things like royal commissions into institutional sexual abuse are rampant? Will these five attributes 
be enough to haul us out of this deep, dark hole we seem to be falling into? I argue that they're probably not. Unfortunately, within the literature for youth work, there isn't a better option. No one has really spoken about what it would look like if youth workers were to choose a model for themselves, to develop a model that looks to the future needs of our clients, that looks to the future needs of our staff. We get so caught up in using models from the 19th and 20th centuries that are over 100 years old because we want to look like everyone else. That's not necessarily a bad thing. It does help us to identify with those around us. However, do we want to do that? These are all questions that are going through my head at the moment, and I'd really be interested to see what your thoughts are on the matter. This is only the first podcast on this, and as I think more on this, I'll put more up. But I want you to start thinking for yourself. Do those five attributes that Greenwood cover that cover for the most part the ideas of the structural functionalists fit with how you practice today? Do they make sense for your clientele? Can you see any issues with using the model? On that note, I'm going to let you go and do some of the hard work, as my supervisor says, of doing thinking. Think on these things, my friends. Until next time, stay frosty. Thanks for listening to the Ultimate Youth Worker podcast. If you liked what you heard, why not tell your friends and get them to subscribe to the cast?